0: Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall, and on this week's episode of a Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Rajiv Kapoor to talk about how to chase greatness. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Rajiv. Over his career, Rajiv has been a part of the leadership team at Dell, where he built a $1 billion plus business in the U.S. and managed Dell's China and South Asia businesses. Today, he is the CEO of 1105 Media, a leading media and marketing services company. In 2021 and 2022, Rajiv was a finalist for both Entrepreneur and Innovator of the Year from the Orange County Business Journal. He is a member of YPO and received his MBA from the USC Marshall School of Business. In 2021, he became a best-selling author when his new leadership book, Chase Greatness, became the most downloaded leadership book on Amazon in November and December. He is an accomplished keynote speaker and executive coach for companies like AT&T and Amazon. And I hope you enjoy our conversation as we talk about his newest book, Chase Greatness. Rajiv, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I am excited to talk about your new book, Hey, I think we could all learn a thing or two about what it takes to chase greatness. And I just want to start by saying thank you so much for donating your time. I know that you are busy, but thank you so much for making time for the Leadership Habit audience. We are so grateful to have you on the show.
1: Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. So excited to be here with you guys. You know, you guys have just an amazing reputation. and i was glad I could be here and hopefully uh, provide some good value.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know you will. Well I always love and I know that every podcast starts this way but I love a great origin story. So Rajiv could you go ahead and introduce us or introduce yourself to our audience tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be where you are now as well as your new book that we're going to be talking about today.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny people always ask me about my origin story and I always think about something funny to talk about like, you know, hey, came from another planet or whatever right but you know, I don't I wish I had something really exciting like that but I don't but Look, I'm just a Southern California boy born and bred. You know, I was born and raised in Southern California in the LA area and, you know, kind of lived a normal life in the in the San Fernando Valley in the 80s. And so I was a valley dude. So so the kids that watch Cobra Kai today, I'm like, hey, I was the crud kid age back then, right? So, so it's like, you know, I'm watching that show. And it's like my kids are like, hey, you're Daniel LaRusso, dad. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. So anyway, so but that's kind of where I got my start. And then, you know, I did my undergrad out here in Southern California, I did my master's out here, and then no, I think the big kind of step for me, and one of the biggest lessons, one of the biggest lessons I learned early in my career was you have to go to the job. And so, for me, it was back in '91. Economy was a little bit of a challenge down here in Southern California at the time. And I got a job working for an old computer company called Gateway 2000, which I'm sure not many people remember. And I think so, they
0: had a Gateway computer. Yeah, it was
1: the yeah. cow-spotted boxes <laughs> and everything. And so, but you know, but the headquarters for Gateway was in South Dakota, Sioux City, South Dakota. And so I went from a South, being a Southern California boy, and I had to move to Sioux City, Iowa. It was a tri-state area. So because you lived in Iowa and you drove to South Dakota every day. And so I did that for a couple of years. And finally, it was like 56 degrees below zero one day with the wind chill factor. And it, was, it was really bad, and really challenging. And so I decided that, hey, you know what? This wasn't for me. And after a couple of years, I got recruited to Dell and went to Dell and started off on the phones. And after about six or seven months being on the phones, I got an opportunity to work for Michael Dell, and I was one of his first executive assistants for a little while, and that was really exciting, and that kind of really helped propel help my career. At Dell, worked my way up there. Eventually, ran the West Coast for Dell, to grew that to a huge business, like a billion dollar plus business. And then, you know, uh, after uh, after a few years of doing that, um, I had moved back to Southern California because I was spending all my time out here, and I was married, and I preferred to be on the West Coast. And you know, Michael called one day instead of achieve We'd really like you to go to China. So in 2000, packed up and went to went to China and went to kind of like that Beijing area for a while. And then I uh, ended up back and forth between the Dell factory and Shaman. And then there were some other challenges being in China back at that time. So ended up transferring to the Hong Kong office. So it would be easier for me to fly back and forth. It was much easier for my wife because we were pregnant at the time. So we did that for a couple of years and built that up. And that was exciting to be there at the early days of Dell China. And then was asked to go run a big part of South Asia. So I eventually became general manager of South, the VP general manager of the South Asian market and launched Dell India and all these other cool countries. And that was an exciting time and an absolute amazing opportunity. And then, you know, I decided to move back to Southern California. Our second son was born in Singapore I wasn't seeing the family much. And so I made that choice to spend more time with family and, you know, became a bit more entrepreneurial, went to a really small e commerce company, did well there. Then went to a startup, did did it all there, and then uh, went to another kind of sort of VC funded company. Did, did you know that that went pretty good? And now for the last eight plus years, I've been running a a B two B marketing and media services company called Eleven O Five Media. And Eleven O Five doesn't have any cool meaning or anything like that. That's just what it is. And so, anyways, been doing that. And in the meantime, you know, I became an author. I sold my first movie script, just finished my second one. I'm a huge sports fan, big Laker fan. I went to the LeBron game the other night. where he's when he went oh, right. me. I was there and that was exciting. So that was really happy. That was cool. I took my son because it's his birthday today. He turned 22. And so that was kind of a birthday present for him. So yeah, so that's a little bit about me and, uh, you know, and I'm excited to be here and you know, I've, I've had, you know, I've been CEO and president of three different companies. I've had three exits and, you know, I, you know, one of the, when I was at um, that, uh, Smaller, small business was called Smart Home, got the award for the best place to work here in Orange County, actually lucky enough to get that award twice. You know, so again, you know, I I could go on and on and on, but it's really a testament to the teams I've had the pleasure of leading. And I'm really passionate about leadership and the future of leadership. And I think it has to change. I think there's a there's an absolute cheap, you know, I want to say the S word kind of disruption coming. Not just in the workforce, but technologically as well. I think we've seen that in the last couple of weeks with ChatGPT and these other technologies that are coming. I think there's massive disruption coming, and I don't think current leadership, current CEOs, are ready. And so that's what I'm trying to pontificate that you have to get ready. And I call it and I call it enlightened leadership is what people have to embrace.
0: I love that. Well, you've shared a lot, and obviously, you were at Dell. Likely, I'm guessing, not that we're going to give the years during a period of massive growth. And I mean, I think that I remember the period even 20 years ago, like Dell was, I I just remember it it was everywhere and it was everything. Like what an exciting time to be with the organization. And then of course, to witness LeBron. I mean, I love the not only the, of course, global experience that you've had, so many different organizations, so many different leadership roles. And I really appreciate you because I know that you have so much value and insights and talking about enlightened leadership. So diving into what the future of work looks like, and I know we're going to talk about your book, Chase Greatness. From your perspective, what do you think needs to happen or what do we need to be prepared for as it relates to leading in the future?
1: You know, so that's a great question. So I think at the end of the day, there are two big things that are going to be happening over the course of the next, let's say, 24 to 30 months. And we can go plus or minus on that, okay? The first one is, is that you're going to see a lot more boomers retiring from the workforce, number one. And you're going to see a lot more Gen Z and millennials moving into the workforce, right? Millennials are kind of already here. Gen Zers are going to be coming in. You know, think about, you know, the kids who are like, who are kind of just who are now 20 years old in the next couple of years, they're going to be 23 years old. And so they're going to be graduating from college. And so you're going to see this massive shift. And what's what's happening in that, what's happening in that is a couple of things. Number one is according to statistics, women for the first time will be the majority of the workforce in the U.S. And I don't mean it's like 60, 40, it's probably, it's, it's a little, it's like 51 49. So it's like right there, but they're going to be the majority for the first time ever. So, because, most boomers in the workforce were mostly men, right? So when, when that goes out, then you have this kind of mix that's coming in. And so that, that, that's where you're seeing that uptick of, of female representation, which I think is awesome, right? So that's number one. Yeah. Number two is what's happening is as this group comes into the workforce, they are, they have a much more you know, activist kind of base mentality. You know, They are much more into what I call the JEDI, which stands for justice, environment, Diversity, inclusion, and you might say, Gee, "Well, that doesn't mean crap when I'm running a business." And and I agree that when you think of it that, when you think of it in a non-traditional way, you're right. You know, or a traditional way, you're right. It really doesn't, right? How somebody thinks outside the walls of the business really shouldn't matter. How you treat them inside the business, right? You try to treat everybody with respect, treat them well, but. What's happening is, and you've seen this, and I'm sure you're, you're I'm sure your organization has seen this, and you know the, the the organization, the people that you guys support has seen this, is that you've got this great resignation happening, quiet quitting, which to me is ridiculous because all that's saying is, hey, I'm doing my job, you're not asking me to do more, so you're not paying me for more, so I'm not doing it, so whatever, so that so that whole trend is kind of ridiculous in my opinion. But regardless, what you're seeing though is the, the, this group that that's coming in is saying, hey, you know. I want to find a company that has purpose. I want to find a company that has a passion, that's not just solely focused on the bottom line. And, you know, obviously capitalism, and I'm a capitalist, I've sold three companies, so I get it, right? But here's the thing, McKenzie has said that if you do focus on purpose, passion, taking care of the employees, if you, if you focus on building an amazing culture, if you focus on treating your, your employees as an internal customer, then you're gonna actually improve your bottom line because you're gonna have less turnover, you're gonna promote from within, you know, people are gonna stay with you longer. So there's, there's a whole domino effect of doing that, and that leads to a much better bottom line, right? Deloitte came out and said, they did a survey a few years ago that said they asked all these CEOs, what percent of you, what percentage of you believe that culture is important? Well, 90% said raise their hands that culture is the most important thing. But only 10% actually never did anything about it. And I'm here to say that culture is really going to matter now for the future because you can, re- you can work anywhere in the world and still get your job done. Like I can run 95% of my company on my smartphone, right? The only thing I really don't do on my smartphone is I don't do my board meetings on my smartphone. I don't do my management staff meetings, right? But even those I do on the laptop. I can do those sitting in the Maldives. Or I can do them sitting here in my office here in Southern California, right? So, but my point is that so work is getting remote. I know people want to go back to the offices, and in some cases, that's important. And I think so a hybrid work environment is probably what's going to win the day. But you have all these things that are coming, and you have this employee set that is saying, "Hey, Jen, we really want to be with you because you have a passion and a purpose, and we'll stay with you if you can demonstrate that." And that, to me, is the first step of enlightened leadership. And enlightened leadership take the foundation of servant leadership that we all kind of grew up with, and says, hey, Jen, not only am I here to help you be successful in your job, I'm also gonna do whatever I can to be to help support you outside the walls of the business. An example of that here at 1105, what I did was we give everybody now a paid day off to go vote. Not many companies do that. So we pay for that. So that's, So if you're not happy with a decision that's being made in, in government or politics, where is great. We're going to ask you. I'm going to say, look, I'm going to pay. For you. I'm going to give you a day off. Don't worry about your paycheck. I've got it covered. And you go out there and do this. So that's just a small example, right? That's you know. And so in the in the mean we, we 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 donate money to nonprofits, charities. Last year we gave. Well, the last 14 months we've given about fifty thousand dollars to support nonprofits and charities throughout the country. Whether it's funding wow. scholarships for underprivileged um, girls who want to go to college that that are that, go, that are in high school on a border. Uh, that, that sit on a on like that sit at the Arizona Mexico border in Nogales, Arizona to Operation Smile to Rainbow Services so so we're doing those types of things to try to try to make sure our employees understand that we want to do what we can to, to to really help you know their communities be better and that to me is enlightened leadership.
0: Yeah, I love that. And yes, it's I mean, would you say that enlightened leadership is because the biggest thing you know for me as a millennial is also that need to be treated as a human, as not, you know, as a product of the bottom line, not just a means to an end. It's part of feeling like, yeah, you actually care about me, that I'm not just someone that's, you know, disposable. I. What's your take on that and that shift in talking about mental health in the workplace?
1: Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great point because, look, you know, when you get on an airplane, you know, the flight attendant says, hey, in case of turbulence, masks is gonna fall from the ceiling, and the first thing they say is put on your own mask first, right? Okay. Before you help the other person sitting next to you. And as a CEO, as a leader of a team or a business or whatever it might be is, you know, they, they are your team, right? You got to help put on their mask first before you can worry about your external customer. So that's why I'm saying focus on your internal customer first, put on their own mask first. And That might mean helping them with mental wellness days off, you know, having a couple of those in, in their pocket so they can go do that. So they don't have to worry about, being stressed out, you know, and finding in exciting, encouraging ways, you know, to to make sure that they take their vacations because a lot of people don't take their vacations, right? It's this is not all about like, you know, you hear about the tech companies and a lot of these parts right now are going, well, oh, I'm gonna give you free lunches and cokes and candies and all these things. No, that's not what this is about. What, what people want at the end of the day is they want to know they can go to work, that they have really that they have a boss that's grateful, that they have people who are Fully resilient, that they have that they have the ability for people to have empathy. And the empathy thing is really important because when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties, when, when I was working at Dell, I remember my mentor would say, "If you're ever to go talk to your boss, you got to go with three solutions." And I totally got that, right? That made a lot of sense because you don't want to waste somebody's time; they're busy, right? But when COVID hit, I realized that that was ridiculous because there was no no one had a solution for COVID, right? No one knew what to do. But I was a CEO for a reason and I can think to myself, you know, if people don't come to me with ideas and like we have to right now throw as much spaghetti on the wall that that they're gonna just clam up or they're not gonna come to me because they don't have to be solutions for COVID. So I, I immediately went to them and say, look, don't worry about it if you don't have solutions, we're gonna talk about everything, and that really changed my mindset in terms of how I led. And I let people know, look, if you because my job, I realized that look, if I'm sitting as a CEO. I worked really hard to get where I am. I probably have experiences that they can learn from, right? right? And if they're stuck, my job should be, "Hey Jen, let me help you get unstuck." Like, let's go for a walk and let's throw some spaghetti on the wall together, right? Maybe you just need to talk something through. Maybe you just need someone to talk to, vent, listen to. So come, let that be me. You know, I'm happy to do that. So I need that big shift. So, so I started listening big more, much more empathy, but then having a lot more accountability, but then really increasing the communication to have that transparency, right? So those were the key five attributes that really were important to me as as you look at enlightened leadership and, and as we led our way through COVID.
0: And I love that. And so, this is the great segue into your book that you recently wrote, "Chase Greatness." What inspired you? Was it the pandemic that kind of made that shift in seeing like we've got to change, or what was the inspiration? Was it was it the pandemic? Was it just noticing? You know, some of this stuff is just not working anymore. What made you want to bring this book to reality or to real life?
1: Yeah, no. So, the, the great question. So, it's actually a couple of things. Um, so, so when COVID hit. Uh, my company, look, we were doing really well. We were growing, we were doing this. You know, and all of a sudden we slammed into a wall when COVID hit because a little over half my business was face-to-face events. And so we were no different than going to a concert or going to a movie. You know, everything was closed. We were closed. I mean, that revenue was gone, people were not coming, people were afraid. I remember hearing stories about friends I had as doctors, they were literally writing their wills saying goodbye to their kids as they were going into work, right? So people were, people on my team, they had, they had parents who were doctors or family that were doctors, and, and you see that and you realize you're such a small, you're so small in the world, in the universe, in the grand scheme of things, and that there are bigger issues out there. And so, you know, so for me, ultimately, it was a real mental cathartic thing for me because there's about a 24 to 40 hour window where I didn't know what to do. There was no case study for me to go read because there's no case study on how you handle COVID, right? There was no mentor for me to call because no mentor had ever gone through this, right? Mm-hmm. So what was I gonna do? So I just kind of decided to take the, the tact of saying, you know what, I want, hopefully one day, Harvard will write a case study on what we did here at 1105 to navigate this storm. And so that was the mental thing I took. I decided to put on my own mask first and I realized I needed something to do while I was sitting at home, you know, getting you know late at night after, many times do I walk my dog and do whatever and you know and so I said you know what you've always wanted to write this book so write the book and I had notes everywhere so I started writing the book I wrote an outline I wrote, wrote some chapters and, and that and then you know as I mentioned to you before I'm a member of this group called YPO and I reached out to some YPOers, and they hooked me up with with a, uh, with a with a publishing company and they then helped support me and uh, you know it took another year or so to write it and You know, and there you go. But it was real cathartic for me to write it, to get this down, because that's when I started doing my research. I had all this free time. I had all this time to research and realized the workforce is going to change. You know, the subheading of the book is "Enlightened leadership for the next generation of disruption. And I looked at COVID as a massive disruption, but I also looked at the workforce being disrupted by the fact that you're going to have the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, millennial, and that group women in the next 24 months. Well, this was three years ago when I wrote it, but now it's 24 months. And so, but I was talking, but then I was talking about how IoT, robotics, even kind of AI type things were going to be transforming the way people did their jobs, just the way the first internet transformed the way our parents did their jobs right mm-hmm. back in the mid-90s. And so I just kind of opined that was the case. And now fast forward now to two months ago, when ChatGPT rolls out, and they're now talking about how it's gonna be as big, if not bigger, than when the first internet browser came out, and that's going to lead to massive disruption in the workers. So that's what I kind of decided to do. That's why I wrote the book, and I felt like I had something to say, and I you know, and I really felt like, and, and I'm going to be very blunt here and honest, that if CEOs are unwilling to change, if leadership teams are unwilling to change to this changing demographic, to the changing world around them of what's happening with technology, they're just going to be left behind, and their company's going to be out of business, period. So, so they have two choices. Change, understand it's coming, or don't, and be left
0: behind. Right. And I feel, I mean, I've read a few different things, you know, adaptive leadership being one of the necessary skills of the future and learning how to stand in solidarity with uncertainty. That is, you know, we no longer get the same luxury that I'm sure business leaders had 10 years ago or 20 years ago with that stability or the LY trends because everything is changing too fast. And so I love that point of emphasis that you've made because I think there are still a lot of people that are struggling with this. It's a new way of approaching it. And so we naturally see the school of resistors. Can we please go back to the way things were? And the adopters, the people that are welcoming and and ready for it. And I think I was probably very ready for all of this disruption because I found as a newer employee and I'm a 40 year old millennial. So I'm at the, I guess, beginning, page of that. I felt like the workplace didn't necessarily do a great job. I actually, when I entered the workplace, I actually thought leadership was a joke. I'm like, Oh, so everything that I learned, I took Dale Carnegie when I was 18. I had done a lot of different things. And I was like, Oh, was that just that nice little thing that they teach kids to make them play nice? Because it wasn't well demonstrated. It was very authoritative, but I love your approach on enlightened leadership to be able to think about that next generation of disruption, because that's the only thing that's going to come. Even though me as someone that loves stability as all of us, Oh, gosh, I don't even know the ways chat GPT, all the ways that it's going to disrupt and what that's going to look like. And I don't even think they know all the ways that it will disrupt yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, Um, it's just like if you go back to the first browser, no one realized, no one knew what social media was going to be back in 96. No one knew what e-commerce was going to be. I still remember being in a meeting when Michael Dell walked in the office and he had this box and it said Mosaic on it, right? And Mosaic was the first browser that eventually became Netscape, which, you know, and he said, I want you guys to figure out how to sell computers on this thing. You know, and that to me is leadership. That to me was a vision, right? And and so in my company, for example, like I, at, we did a uh, on last uh, last Wednesday, we did our, our annual recognition event. And in that meeting, I told them every single employee, all 140 my employees are all going to have to go through training. On generative AI, on chat GPT, and these types of tools, every single one—I don't care who they are, everyone—and sure enough, and you know, and now I've got employees who are, who are into it, who are embracing it, who've got ideas. You know, this one—I had this one employee who was using it an example almost like as a substitute marketer for her and her doing her job. I mean, it was just amazing to see it. But this is—but you see this, right? And that's today. Imagine what this is going to be like in two, three, four years, right? So that's why you've got all these. Gen Zers, who are the most connected group of people in history, they're the most technologically advanced in history, are coming into the workforce, and they're going to embrace this stuff. They're going to know all this stuff backwards and forwards, right? It's kind of like when social media first started. But they say, "You want to learn social media? Go hire a young intern," right? So, so now you see what's coming, right? So it's coming, and it's coming, and that disruption is coming, and you have two choices. You can either stand on the track, not change, and get hit by the train, or you can move aside, retool your business, retool your teams, retool the fact, make sure that your IT team, your CIO, your CTOs, whoever they might be, are embracing this and pushing this down in your organization or be left behind. I mean, really, you just have two choices. I love if that. you need help, call me. if you need help, call me. I,
0: <laughs> I love that. Crosstown is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crosscom.com. Let's talk about it. Okay, for those that are ready and thinking about, okay, I'm ready to embrace a new approach, a new way of leading. Let's talk about what it means to chase greatness. What does it mean to be great or what does it mean to chase great?
1: Yeah, so, so that's great. So I really appreciate that question because... I'm going to go back to, so when I was sitting in my home office, when COVID hit, this was about a week after everything was shut down and we made the decision to, we're going to go for it and we're going to fix this company and we're, I'm not going to let anything happen. We're going to, we're going to take our big decision. We're going to take our pay cuts. We're going to do the layoff and do everything we needed to do. Right. And I, I walked into my whiteboard and I asked, and I wrote on my whiteboard, what does it mean to be great? Good question. Went back, whatever. Couple of days go by. I'm staring at the whiteboard. Where's it word "great" be So then I went up to the whiteboard. A couple of days later, and I erased that, and I wrote the word "great," you know, vertically, you know, in a G, you know, G R E A T. And then I wrote gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and trust. And it just happened to be that was the acronym I kind of came up with. And I and I just mentioned that like 10 minutes ago. Those exact five attributes, almost. And so then a couple of days go by, and I erased the word trust, and I put the word transparency. And, I, and the reason why I raised the word trust is people say, well, when you think about great, if, you know, great's an acronym. Why did you get rid of the word trust? I go, well, I really didn't. I, all I'm saying is that if you want to build that trust in an organization, you've got to be really transparent with them. Like, I needed to be really transparent with my entire team. This is what COVID has done to our business. This is what we need to do. This is how we need everyone to come together. And I couldn't just say, hey, guys, we're going to let people trust me. I need to tell them why I need to be transparent. I to them to understand what was happening. So that's what, um, so that's what we did. And to me, those five key attributes of gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency make up the word great. And that became my North star for what enlightened leadership should be. And if I go back and I look at historically those five attributes, you see pockets of that everywhere. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, when he took over for Steve Ballmer, he says, he's in an interview, he says gratitude was the number one thing that he implemented that turned Microsoft around.
0: Gratitude. I, that's, just- I love that. Let, let's dive into that. Like as gratitude being the starting point for, you know, great. What does gratitude look like in action? Because I think that they're, you know, in a traditional school of thought, Maybe it was there's no place for gratitude, or, yeah, we've got a rewards and recognition. We'll send you a gift card. What does gratitude look like in action, or said in a different way, What does gratitude mean to you and how you wrote about it in this book?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know the way I kind of read about it in the book is that gratitude is a foundational, integrated, like it, it's in your soul. It's something you just do. just as just like you breathe, just like you walk or talk. Gratitude, kindness, compassion compassion are all an outcome of gratitude, right? I am so grateful I have an opportunity to talk to you and get my message across to your audience, right? I, I am so grateful that I had a chance today to go meet with, with, with a bunch of guys this morning to talk about our, you know, to talk about personal family business and where we can become better leaders, better fathers, but better, better, better husbands, you know, better people, better persons, you know, to our communities. I had that discussion earlier today. Right, so, so gratitude is recognizing that you, you have so much to be grateful for and how do you now take that and spread that message across? And what Microsoft didn't do for a long time is they did not embrace their community. And gratitude is a hug. Gratitude is a way to embrace your community and let them know that, hey, we wouldn't be here unless it was for you. And that's what you need to do is you need to hug your team, hug your organization, and you let them know that you as a CEO wouldn't be here it wasn't for them you know and that yes there's going to be times when you have to make some tough decisions but you, but you promise to always be fully transparent and you'll answer any question and that you're going to do everything you can to be grateful for them and making sure that they are have the tools they need to be successful okay. and when you honor their dreams that way that becomes your why and so that that led to my why which is helping to honor other people's dreams and gratitude is the enabler of that so that's why gratitude is so important
0: I mean, I love that. I I can think of the jobs that have, the bosses, I should say, that have stood out to me, the ones that have made the greatest impact are the ones that have said, thank you so much for your work. I really appreciate what you did. And honestly, the first time I ever heard that from a boss, I was like, who are you? Because that was not the traditional way to speak to employees. It was, you should just be happy you have a job. Aren't you happy that you work here? And so to feel so valued by a boss felt like what's the catch? What what am I waiting for here? And I'm curious, how do you, you know, you talked about it as like giving your team a hug. How do you practice gratitude or how do you personally show your employees that you're grateful for them?
1: Oh, it's to me now it's become second nature, right? So to me, I just find myself doing it without even realizing I'm doing it, right? Whether it's an in an email, whether it's randomly calling somebody, whether it's realizing, hey, it's Jen's birthday today, so I'm going to wish her a happy birthday, you know whether it's you know um, being grateful for a customer that did something amazing, or you know what, we have something internally in the company called the High Five Award, which is a peer-to-peer recognition award. Whether it's doing on the spots, you know whether it's doing research on figuring out a great tool for them to be able to use. You know, you know one of the things we decided to do as a company is we didn't take a dollar of PPP money, not one dollar. So all that government stimulus that came out. A, we were we were had a really hard time qualifying because we had some private equity money in us, and so we didn't take a dollar. So, I I asked the team to take pay cuts. I asked the team to do certain things, and so I wanted to make sure that I could return that favor, and we did, and we, we were able to restore people's pay back at a, with a, a fairly quickly. We do we do we do like a yearly bonus for every employee, you know. We you know we 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 allow remote work, you know. You know, I, I tell people, you know, if you're not feeling good, if you're tired and it's five o'clock in the evening, that's okay. Go home or to turn off your computer wherever you are. You know, go to Starbucks or go, go to the beach or go to the mountains or go for a hike because that problem you have, it'll still be there at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning and do it when you're refreshed. And rather you have a clear mind to go do that way because, or if you feel like, hey, you know what, you've got a doctor's appointment in the day or you got to take care of your kids in the day. But but you can get the job done at eight o'clock at night, and you need you need to have a few hours off in the middle of the day to go do other stuff. Do I care if the job gets done at ten a.m. or ten p.m.? Yeah, I really don't, right? So so we kind of really backed off of this kind of authoritarian viewpoint, saying, "Look, company's doing well, we're doing fine." Knock on wood, you know. We we trust you because we're fully transparent, and it's a two way street. It's a relationship we have. You know, one thing I try to stay away from is I'm not a big fan of using that word family you know, instead what I like to do is, 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 is I talked about the, the fact that there is it's a two-way relationship. And so, you know, it's a relationship. And so we, 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 we honor, we try to honor that relationship. And so that's, that's what we do.
0: I love that. Well, and I love that you make time because that's the big piece I heard. You're, you obviously are, you sit on multiple boards, you're running an organization, you've got a lot going on, and you still make the time for development. And, you know, because I I think that's an important point to emphasize, because there might be people that say, I don't have time for that. But it sounds like you make the time, you take time to make that time, which is, you know, the important piece of it. And I know, and I want to go into a few other elements of great, I know, we we will not cover them all, because, hey, we're going to get the book. But let's talk about another one. Let's talk about what, what empathy sounds like for you. And empathy and how we're demonstrating that. Because again, I think there's a lot more confusion from people on the the how. Like, how do you do empathy? And come on, can't they again just be happy they have a job? You know, I know that there's that traditional approach that comes back in, but how do you define empathy? Or from, how did you write yeah, it? Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I think the big one, I think I mentioned it earlier, to me, empathy is just all about listening big. That's it. It's really simple. And I don't want to complicate this with some sort of long, drawn out, or attractive yes. answer. It's really just about listening big. Like I think oh. I gave the example earlier, right? That when I was growing up, when I was kind of moving up the ladder in my career, you had to go to your boss with those three solutions. Otherwise you don't go to your boss, right? And and so that has to change. And that, that's where I I think that was probably Of those five attributes I talked about, I thought of, of gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency. I think empathy was the one where I think I changed the most. And having that attitude that say, that's okay, Jen, you got a problem. You know, come and talk to me. Let's, let's work it through together. We're in this together. It's a relationship, right? Jen, thank you for trusting me to come to me with the problem and not being afraid of my title. Because the more, the more I can take my experiences and give them to you, the better you're gonna be, right? And the better and the happier you're gonna be at your job. And that's that's empathy. That's really all you gotta do, right? It's It's, you know, it's when you're walking down the hallways of of the office, you know, it's stopping by and listening and saying, how's it going, right? Oh, it's my son's birthday today. And it happens to be my son's birthday today. You know, oh, happy birthday. But then going back to your office, noting, oh, it's Jen's son's birthday today. Put that in your calendar. So next year, it pops up saying, oh, it's Jen's son's birthday today. Hey, Jen, wish your son Sean a happy birthday. You know, whatever, right? My son's name is Sean. So anyways, so, so so those are small little things you do right? I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, people get excited by those things, right? So that's, but it's simple. It's, that, that, you don't overcomplicate that one. It's a big word in business, but it's a really easy one to implement.
0: Where do you think out of the, out of gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, and transparency, what one from your experience do you think either for you was maybe the most challenging to adjust, or do you think people in general might have you know, a little bit more hurdles or complications with really adapting.
1: So I think, as I mentioned, I think empathy was probably my biggest one. And I think the second one was probably transparency because look, it's hard to be able to really be, Oh, there's certain things you can't talk about in a business, right? You know, obviously you want to, you know, but you have to, when it comes to time for major challenges and issues, you got to be really transparent with your team. So you got to tell them how you're performing as a company, where you have gaps, where you have opportunities for growth, where you think the misses are? Where you where? Where do you think the hits are? Where you know, Where do you think the um, you know, the there might be an opportunity to improve a performance? You know, whatever are the cases? I mean, you got to be transparent, but you also have to be transparent the other way as well. You have to be willing to listen to that as well, and that's where that empathy piece comes back, right? And you have to learn. You have to learn that not only can you give constructive criticism. You need to be open to receiving that constructive criticism as well. So that's when we did employee surveys out there, right? You know, one of the questions I asked, so at the, at the end, and hopefully the readers get the book, and at the end of the chapters, I have questions. Of, you know, I have thought-provoking questions at the end of every chapter. And I think my somebody asked me, what is my favorite question in the book? So as a leader, as a CEO, my favorite question in that book is, if you're trying to figure out how good your culture is, the question I want you to ask your employees is, Jen, if you were – to receive an offer from a press pump competitor making the exact same amount of money doing the exact same thing would you leave so granted these things are anonymous right so if the answer you get back is yes you have a major culture problem
0: right right yeah absolutely if they're like hey anything's got to be better than here i have one final question as it relates to transparency is i think Whether you're an emerging leader or whether you're an executive leader, it's often really difficult to determine what is appropriate. What can I share? But the other piece is when, because when do you make the time to share this? Is it a standing meeting that you have? Because I often notice that sometimes organizations will, you know, I might have to listen to a quarterly earnings call to actually hear the update. So do you have any prescriptive advice on how to approach transparency, when to, you know, communicate particular information or when it's essential, such as, Hey, we just, you know, lost a big client or, you know, here's a crisis situation. I'm curious if you have any tips on how people can understand when they should be prompted to be more transparent.
1: Yeah, no, great, great question. And so look, my, my, tips essentially is that you've got to start getting it on the calendar so so people can start changing behavior so for example we do a quarterly recognition event at the end of every quarter about three weeks after the quarter closes so so we'll do a q1 recognition event towards the end of april and we talk about hey who are the new employees that started the company we'll do we'll celebrate birthdays and anniversaries we'll celebrate you know the uh, what we call the 1105 of the quarter the manager of the quarter for the different divisions, and there's five divisions. And so so we do all that stuff, right? And then we talk about, you know, how are we doing in our different business lines? Are they up? Are they down? Or are they just kind of holding you know, sideways? Whatever the case may be, we talk about that stuff. We talk about the priorities. How are we doing against them? So we have a set of KPIs, key performance indicators. How are we doing against our KPIs? and we make it simple, stoplight format, green, yellow, red. Green, hey, that KPI, man, yeah, we're we're, we're golden. Man, that, that That's a good, we're, we're going... We're driving the car, we're, we're, we've driven, we're, we're driving down the road. So that, 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 that KPI is going. So that's green. So I mean, that, that we're on track. Yellow means, hey, you know, we're not on track, we're not off track. It's just kind of there. It's kind of muddling a little bit, but I think we can do it. And red means we're offers. means we're stopped. And so obviously your goal as a CEO is to take your reds turn them to yellows, take your yellows and turn them into greens, right? And keep your greens greens. So that's ultimately the goal, right? And those are your KPIs. So we share that with people. We do that. And then that every division, so every division GM does a monthly town hall just for their specific group. Because at my recognition events that we do quarterly, they're very high level, right? They talk about more high levels going across all the businesses. And then the, like, I, I only have two set standing meetings, not more than that, but but in terms of set, like real set individual one-on-one meetings, so I have a staff meeting every Tuesday, and then I have one-on-ones with every single one of my direct reports, which is about 10 direct reports every week. Other than that, I try not to add more meetings to people's calendars. I get invited to meetings, which I go to, but I try not to add more meetings to other people's calendars. I want I want my team to be control. I want them to be controllers of their own catalog, to their own calendar, to their own time. Like, so, so, we, so I decided a couple of years ago to decentralize all decision-making and push it closest to the customer as possible. And, and we change incentives, we change bonus structures to say, okay, you're gonna be responsible for profitability for your business. If that's the case, I'm gonna give you the keys to the car to drive, but here's the number you gotta hit. What decisions are you gonna make now to deliver that number? Now you can do your hiring, you can do your firing, you can do, you can decide what groups you're gonna do, but we'll, we'll review that progress every week and we'll see how that's going. And so, so that's that that that's that's
0: essentially um, what we do. I love that example, and I know that you uh, can speak about it with confidence because clearly you've been able to articulate this. But I also just want to acknowledge that that is actually one of the things that's really hard for people: a following through on strategies and actually checking up on the KPIs or milestones or whatever that is. But then, two, whoa, you're giving people the keys to the car to drive that or Letting go of that control is honestly, I mean, that's that's a challenge, again, at every single level of leadership. And so I just want to acknowledge and hopefully reemphasize to our listeners of the value that can come if you do give away some of that control, if you do allow more autonomy or decentralized decision-making. And I just, I appreciate that example because I think there's a lot of people that have more fear with that. And it sounds like you really lean into it with a lot of trust, and I, you know, and I know that that's part of your last piece. So, Rajiv, I really enjoyed our conversation. How can our audience connect with you? Where can they get the book? How can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. So, look, I mean, the book's obviously available on Amazon. Uh, it's available. It's also a bit, so it's available in Kindle format. It's now available in audiobook format through Audible. You can also buy the hardcover through Amazon, and it, the, you can just search in chase greatness. Raji Kapoor, last name is K-A-P-U-R, or Chase Greatness and uh, Enlightened Leadership. That will pull it all up right there. Uh, they can go on, it's available. The book's available as an audiobook on Spotify as well now. So if you go to Spotify.com, you can't go to the app, you have to go to Spotify.com and get it there. And over time it'll we'll be rolling out to Libya and some other places as well. So that's kind of where it's kind of available in an audiobook format. So I think through Spotify and Audible, I think you got most of those covered. In terms of getting hold of me, obviously I'm on LinkedIn. If you just go on LinkedIn, type in Rajiv Kapoor. My first name is spelled R-A-J-E-E-V. Like Victor, then people will find me 1105 Media. It's not that hard, uh, you know. And then I'm on social media fairly. I'm pretty active, it's mostly on Instagram. I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I like Instagram. And so my Instagram handle is at the Rajiv Kapoor. Because someone took Rajiv Kapoor, but anyways, uh, so that's kind of the, those are kind of really good ways to get hold of me. Also. You know, they can go to Rajiv Kapoor.com and also to 1105media.com. And there's ways to, to connect with you there. And of course, they can always, I guess, get hold of you. and You can send them my way as well.
0: So Yes, absolutely. Well, Rajiv, thank you again so much for carving out the time uh, to help us all think differently about how we might approach and actually chase greatness. Thank you so much for coming on The Leadership Habit.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm uh, proud I could be here today.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Leadership Habit. I love the examples and especially Rajiv just sharing even the ways that he practices what he preaches. Now, if you want to get in touch with Rajiv, you can purchase his book, Chase Greatness, and you can find that on Amazon, or you can head on over to his website, rajivkapoor.com, or even check out 1105 Media. And of course, if you know someone that might benefit from hearing this message, please share it. And don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.